I was just encouraged to know that we were at church on time today. Uh, as Mark said, I am from Tennessee, so I was fully expecting a two-hour delay uh, with some wet rain and maybe a little bit snow on the side of the road, uh, so I'm glad we were on schedule today. Uh, my name is Tyler. As Mark said, I'm one of the pastors here, and I am just uh, so excited and humbled to be here. Uh, if you're uh, new with us or visiting for one of the first times, I just want to say welcome home. I uh, hope you feel right at home as uh, we kind of dive in to the Word of God together. Uh, you can see on the screen we will be in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. You can go ahead and turn there in your copy of God's Word. And uh, as you're turning there, just uh, some information really about uh, the translation of this uh, passage. So in your English text, it's 10 verses, uh, but in the original Greek manuscript, it's actually one complete sentence. Uh, so from that, we can uh, gather that these thoughts, these ideas were meant to be understood uh, together. So we're gonna look at uh, life apart from Christ, life with Christ, and then the purpose that we have as a result of being with Christ. So I am going to uh, begin reading from chapter two, verses one, and we'll finish and consider verses one through 10. So this is the Apostle Paul writing the letter to the Ephesians, the church at Ephesus. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses, or your translation may say your sins. You were saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And then this is really the meat where we'll land today. Uh, for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. This is actually the third time that Paul says this in this chapter, so it's very important for us to understand, to know today that it is not about us. The Christian life is not about us. And then he goes on to say, it's not from your work so that you can't boast. So Paul, again, hey, it's not about you. This is, this is solely pointing to Jesus. And then we land here as a result of God interceding on our behalf. For we are his workmanship, and we'll talk about the word workmanship and what that means for us uh, later on. But he says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Now, just some uh, cultural context and scriptural context for this. Uh, we are looking at the letter to the Ephesians, a church at a place called Ephesus. And Paul, in the chapter uh, before this, lists out and enumerates the spiritual blessings that a Christian can find, specifically these Ephesians. So as we uh, study the spiritual blessings here uh, that are mentioned in this section, uh, you can think of Paul talking to you and I, if you have received Christ, if you have trusted in him for the forgiveness of your sins. So as we study that, consider that in your mind as he's writing to these Ephesians. Act like he is writing to you as well. So he mentions these spiritual blessings, these spiritual um, abnormalities for, for the culture that they're in. They're not used there. Obviously, there's in some pagan areas, and they're not used to all these things, such as forgiveness of sin. They're not used to uh, inheritance with Christ is another one. Uh, but Paul specifically focuses on, in chapter two, he focuses on the forgiveness of sin and the redemption that comes from that. So how do we as Christians 
live really in the redemption that God offers us, which leads us straight to the beginning of the passage in the first point, which is if apart from Christ, we are spiritually dead. One scholar who wrote the Christian Standard Bible translation helped translate the translation and did some of the study Bible work said this about these first three verses. He said, apart from Christ, people are without authentic spiritual life. And I love that word authentic. There is no mask there. Apart from Christ, you have no true, genuine, authentic hope or peace. He says, in this state, the most vital part of the human personality, he's talking about the soul, is dead. Thus, people cannot, by their own efforts or ingenuity, experience fellowship with God or meet his requirements. So throughout this talk, I'm just gonna share bits and pieces of my story with you and correlate them to this passage. Uh, one of the reasons for that is uh, there were a lot of people in the room in the first service. There's a lot of people in the room now and I can't get to know you all at once. Uh, so this is for you guys to get to know me a little bit better and then I'll be out in the lobby as well with community groups if you guys would like to stop by and introduce yourself. But as Mark mentioned, I am uh, from the deep south called Tennessee. Anybody? Besides my mom in the middle there. Anybody? Tennessee? I met somebody from Chattanooga yesterday, or the previous service. No Tennesseans, per usual. Um, and in the southern United States, a lot of people see themselves, uh, if you're not a convicted criminal, a lot of people see themselves as uh, morally religious or a, at least a good person. You haven't hurt anybody. You haven't done anything really wrong or bad, per se, to be seen by other people. So a lot of people would say, hey, they are really good. They are really morally acceptable. I grew up this way. Uh, I grew up in a small town with eight red lights called Rockwood. It's just in the foothills of the Appalachia. If you blink, you'll miss it. Kind of like Union Bridge or New Windsor, anybody? Yeah, okay. So, so I grew up in this town. Uh, I'm the kid. I know most kids kind of run towards danger and run towards problems and causing problems. I was the opposite. I was going this way from problems and kind of uh, touching the hot stove, if you will. Uh, I was not the guy that wanted to instigate problems or visit the principal's office uh, at school. Uh, in fact, the running joke in elementary and middle school was the only reason that Tyler would be in the principal's office was to take the absentee slip. Anybody, any absentee runners in here? Nobody. What were y'all doing then? Causing trouble. Causing trouble. That's what you were doing. But this is how I grew up. I was a good kid. I made great grades. I was an athlete. I seemed to be fairly successful at. I made the newspaper for my seventh and eight-year-old all-star team, right? You know, anybody's highlight of, the, of their life. I was the definition of a good kid. And perhaps you were in the room today and you would say, yeah, Tyler, I'm pretty good. I haven't killed anybody. Uh, I haven't, you know, been divorced. My marriage is, eh, it's okay. Maybe you would say, I, I'm attending UBC. I'm here in the room today. Um, I got my snow tires exercise today. Uh, you know, heck, I paid for those. I might as well get used out of them, God, for you. But you would say there's not really been a marking change in my life. I'm just kind of the guy that attends church. And Paul is really writing to these Ephesians to remind them where they were and then to where they've come from. So when I was in this small town uh, growing up, uh, I even walked in the aisle and said a prayer and was baptized in water. And you may think, oh, well, that's good. You're right with God, right? Well, for, to answer that question, you always look after the fact. And after the fact, I didn't have any spiritual fruit marking my life. So uh, as we studied in the book of Micah, God would just assume shut the doors on that story. Didn't have my apathetic kind of 
fake religiosity that I was as a middle schooler. Because like most middle school boys, I chased girls. I wanted to be the all-star on the basketball team. And I was insecure. Fun fact about me, if you don't know me, uh, I'm deaf in my right ear. So if you have walked past me and think, man, that new guy, he just doesn't listen to me. Well, that's why. So I'm going to encourage you uh, after the service, if you come uh, out there and you're like, Tyler, 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 and I don't respond, that's why. Uh, you're like, man, he's such a jerk. He ignores everybody. Uh, th- but that's not really it. So that is who I was. I was self- self-conscious. I was, I was selfish. I wanted to look good in front of people. I wanted other people to think good of me. I wanted to make the best grade. I wanted to beat everyone else in my competition. Uh, when I was in school, I would sit in the classrooms. We were in like vertical rows. Anybody remember elementary, middle school? We're in vertical rows. And my stutter from, was so bad. And we were, we're, start, we're studying the word like mitochondria, mitochondria. That word was not easy for me to say. Uh, so I would say the word mitochondria and I would be like, okay, one, two, three, four, five, six. I'm the, I'm the sixth paragraph. Okay. One, two, three, four. And I would practice reading the paragraph in order to not stutter, which made me stutter worse. <laughs> Anybody been there? Like you try to fix the problem and it makes the problem worse. That was me. So in light of that, I would say most of us in the room would profess to be Christians, right? So I would encourage us today as we study this passage, would you remember who you used to be? Would you remember who you used to be before Jesus, before Jesus intersected your life? And then in light of who you used to be, as we go through this passage, would you thank him for what he's done for you? Which we'll look at in verses four through seven. And then we'll study what you should be and can do for the kingdom. Not through your own power, but through the power of Christ alone. So we're moving on to the second point. This is my favorite one. You'll see why in a second. With Christ, we are spiritually alive. I'm gonna depict a picture for you. In 2016, I was a sophomore at the University of Tennessee. Obviously, nobody in here cares because you're not from Tennessee. But our colors are orange and white. We have a really cool song called Rocky Top. Anybody heard of it before? Rocky Top, you'll always be. Sing it, y'all. Come on. No, I'm kidding. kidding. (laughs) But, But we had a really cool song called Rocky Top. And then 2016, the undefeated Tennessee Volunteers took a little trip down to Athens, Georgia. And my in-laws are here, and they're from Georgia, so they'll get a kick out of this. Uh, You can go ahead and show the clip, and then I'll discuss it. And all mayhem. There's our coach. He's like 55 years old. He just jumped way up in the air. And there's a dog pile in the end zone. And then there's Rocky Top playing right there. And then, then, then the final goes through. Um, we can watch it again if you want. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so this game for Tennessee was hard, right? They were down, if you watch the game, we were down by 20-something points most of the game, but we came back and won. There were 88,000 people in red and black, Satan's colors of all colors, uh, cheering against us. Okay, so we're, we're in this big stadium. It's loud. It's crazy. Uh, there's like 3,000 of me. I, I was in the corner by our band. Uh, we're getting trash, can, or trash bags, red pom-poms, everything thrown at us. Uh, it, the, the opposition is strong, uh, but Tennessee overcame this. Coach Jones, our head coach, led us to a victory in spite of the opposition. And you may be like, Tyler, why are you sharing about a football game? I don't even like sports. 
<laughs> so, so some people are thinking that. The question is, how did Tennessee get the victory in spite of a lot of opposition? They were surrounded on all sides by people who wish nothing more than a loss on them. Nothing more. Perhaps the way you go into your workplace and feel like, man, there's nobody, there's nobody else on, on my side but me. Like I, I've been there. Nobody, nobody else wants me to succeed but me. That guy that got a promotion, he doesn't deserve it at all. I'm out here working these phones, but yet he got the promotion. Tennessee overcame the victory by uniting and accomplishing and working the mission in spite of all the obstacles that faced them. If you notice one uh, part of the picture, I pointed him out, Coach Jones. You probably think I'm about to mention how he was praying. He was like this, and he had his hands like this. Well, that's not what was happening. He wasn't praying. Coach Jones was around 55, I believe, at the time, and he, he, he's down on one knee because he just did this. If you've seen the highlights after the video, he does this, and I worked in the athletic department, so I was one of the few people that knew this. He actually injured his ankle. He actually landed on his right ankle, and he couldn't walk to midfield to shake Coach Smart's hand, which is George's coach, because he hurt his ankle. He landed on his ankle. And you're like, in that moment, why would you do that? Well, exactly. He was caught up in the excitement of victory, the excitement that he knew that his mission, his mission statement, his team had followed the plan that was assigned to them, and it worked for them. Why do I say it worked for them? Tennessee was 5-0 and after this game. They were still at the top of the lead in the conference. They still had all their goals in front of them. I would propose to you today that the same thing is true for the Christian in this world today. When you go to the office, when you go home even, you may have unbelievers in your family. And you may be like, it's a dark place. There are people who are against me, who are against what I believe, against what I say. And you maybe think, how can I win? And Coach Jones' actions, as I was re-watching the game again, um, it made me think. So as a reflective question for all of us, Coach Jones did what he did. He jumped in the air, landed on his ankle, and heard it. But he did it because he knew the victory that he had. In your life, would you say that you know the victory that Jesus has won for you do you know it so well and does it excite you so much that you would be willing to do something foolish for him? Like if God has blessed you with a tremendous amount of financial stewardship, would you trust him enough to, for you to give, to bless other people? Or do you want to hoard the money? If God has entrusted you with a workplace full of lost people, would you complain that, oh, I hate the job, I need to find a job I like, or maybe... God has you there for a reason, to evangelize, to share the good news of people who are consumed with something totally different and totally meaningless that will end themselves in a place separated from God called hell. So I would propose that to you. Would you be willing to do something foolish for the Lord like Coach Jones was willing to do something foolish out of his excitement because he was confident and knew he had a victory? Do you, in your life, know that you have a victory Maybe you haven't trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, for his death, burial, and resurrection. Maybe that's something you need to do today. Maybe you've been a really religious person and you followed all the rules, maybe like the Pharisees, maybe you know the right answers. Maybe you've been to the right places. 
Maybe you're even judgmental of other people that don't follow the rules and regulations that you know. Would you come to the place where you'd be willing to do something foolish for the Lord? So verses four through six say, hey, God has not just made you alive, but he's given you these things. He's given you a raised position. He's raised you up with Christ. He's seated you with him in the heavenly realms, which simply means that you've been resurrected from the dead life that you had before him, and he's given you new life. And as a result of that new life, you have new purpose. And we're gonna get to that in just a second. What does that look like to have a new purpose in Jesus? The whole meaning of these like big words like heavenly realms and seated us with him and raised us up with him is so that verse seven can be true. That for all of eternity, God can show his kindness through his grace towards you. Now think about that for a second. God is kind. God loves you. God wants to be with you in the storm. I think the songs we sang today are perfect. The goodness of God, the grace of God, Also, we can sing. But yet some of us come in the room and we're just like, hmm. but you've got, a, you've got a new life. And today we're gonna to discover what that life is and what that life is about. Which leads me to my third point that we'll spend the majority of the rest of our time here in Christ that so we have lives of purpose and meaning. And if you'll follow with me from verses eight through 10. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So prior to entering vocational ministry, I worked in college athletics. And in college athletics, you have what's called the grind. And that is where you are constantly working harder, faster, stronger to get better than your competition. So uh, when I was at a certain school, our coaches violated NCAA rules because they wanted to practice more than the allotted time so that they could beat other teams in the conference. And that's just what they did. They, but their end result was winning. But they, have, they, found a false, they found a false motive, a false hope. We ended up not winning at all. We, finished one of the, we were one of the last teams in the conference. Maybe the same can be said of your workplace. Maybe it seems like life is just hours at the office, trips on the plane, little time with family. I wasn't really around much when I worked in sports. We had recruiting trips, we had away games, all plane trips. You're at the gym 12 hours a day. All these things to be quote unquote successful. It's a daily temptation for all of us to find our purpose and our meaning for this life and something other than Jesus and you may not even be deliberately doing it. And that's the scary part. Maybe you have great intentions but there's something not right, not working. For me, I wanted to be a successful coach and athletic director. That was what I was aspiring to be. But I was aspiring to be something that God had not called me to. And that's when we get to verses four through seven. For me, for me as, as I was thinking about this, we're in Georgia at the time, as the clock went from 2023 to 2024, a week ago today, where were you at? In, in, in your head, what were you thinking about? Were you thinking of something stressful going on in your life? Were you just wanting to go to sleep? Is there some resolution that you had to better your health, better your financial situation? 
Or were you thinking, God, what will you do with my life this year? Were you focused on what you could do on your own power? Or were you willing to let God speak in to this? I'll give you an example of this. Uh, I was trying to do uh, what I thought God had wanted me to do a couple weeks ago, and that was take my wife to Frederick. Uh, I was going to take my wife to uh, this great place called Cracker Barrel. You can laugh, it's okay. Uh, That's fine dining where I'm from. Uh, we're drinking sweet tea and carbohydrates, and all was good. We were driving down I-70 West. Anybody know I-70? I'm going to describe it like a not local. Uh, we're driving down the interstate, and I'm getting to the 270 uh, exit ramp where you like, do a big loop-de-loop, and then go 270 toward D.C. And right as I get on the exit, my car, which is not a, a reliable car by any means, uh, it's a clown car, in fact, um, my, the, the, uh, the admin's uh, husband often asked me every week just about, uh, Tyler, how do you fit in your car? I say, well, Ray, I have to move the seat all the way back to where it's touching the, the, the rear seat. And he was like, well, won't your head go through the car? I was like, it will, but I open the sunroof. <laughs> and so this is how we get to a Cracker Barrel. We get to Cracker Barrel. I'm not sweating it. My check engine light had been coming on, but not flashing. We get back in the car. We pull out of the parking lot. We get to the red light. I'm going to pick up my wife's Christmas gift. All is A-OK. Until I'm making a right turn. No turn on red. Light goes green. I press the gas. It goes backwards. There's a Tesla behind me. So I pressed that brake really fast because that was going to be an expensive insurance premium. And then we found ourselves in the Costco parking lot, just where you want to find yourself with no transportation on a Saturday afternoon. No auto shops are open. Isn't that funny how that happens? There's no auto shop to fix your issue when it happens. But we found ourselves in a place where we could choose our attitude based on our circumstances. In that moment, and I had every good intention of doing this, in that moment I could be bitter and frustrated at God. I, got, I, I, I moved from Texas to Maryland to serve you in this town that I had never heard of. And like, I'm here for you. Why would you, put, why would you do this? Or I could choose the alternative. I could see this as an opportunity for the good works portion of this text to come through. So instead of being bitter, initially I was, the staff can tell you I'm a natural pessimist. The Holy Spirit is working on me. But I had to think about the opportunities that were ahead of me. I had a chance to talk to two AAA drivers and they have, they have, hard, they have hard jobs. They pick up people from accidents that have died. They see all kinds of bad situations. People with their worst, their lowest. And I got to share with them what I do. Why? And, they, and a question I get, I was sharing with someone about this, a question I get all the time is, why did you move here? Why would you do that? From Dallas, Texas, where there's 8 million people and everything is under the sun? And the answer is always the same. It's because God called me here. And that leads me to an opportunity to share the faith that I believe so strongly as a 28-year-old to move myself and my wife across the country to serve him. I didn't know a soul. I don't know any of you, hardly, well enough to say, hey, yeah, I'm gonna move there for them. But I'm here. So as a result of verses four through seven, your life now has a purpose if you are in Christ. You don't need to look at your bank account. You don't need to look at your home or your subdivision or your farm that you want. You don't need to look at your child's success. You don't need to look at the family you're comparing yourself to and wishing your life was like theirs. We all do it. 
Because you can open one app and you can be connected to 10 million people in five seconds. But yet we exchange this precious, valuable time that could be working for the Lord, that could be serving people like the Buntons who are just giving it all away for the gospel. All away. They're not worried about the next car they're gonna drive. They're not worried about how nice their house is. They want people that haven't known Jesus and don't know him to know him. And I'm not saying you have to go overseas to be a missionary either. I'm saying you can do that right here in Union Bridge, right here in New Windsor, Frederick, Westminster, Kemar. Can I go on? Mount Airy? Did I list them all? I'm still learning, sorry. But here we get to the word workmanship. And the word workmanship is really translated as the word poema, the Greek word poema, which is where we get our English word. Anybody? Poem. Poem. So think about this. So the, the, the interesting thing about translation is there's not a English word for a Greek word. And I'm not talking about your fraternity and sorority Greek language. I'm talking about ancient Greek language that is no longer able to be spoken or studied, right? So there's not a word for every, every English word in the Greek language, but this word means to be intentionally put and thought through a situation. I want you to think about that. You are God's intentional thought in creation. Read that verse now. You are God's intentional thought in creation, created in Christ for good works. Man, that carries some weight. Like God, is, God has called you for something more than you are settling for right now. It's something so much bigger than your life or my life or our lives collectively together. It's for the kingdom of God. That's what, that's what life is about. The Christian life is not uh, designed for comfort or convenience or, or what looks good to other people. It is designed to give Jesus glory. And that's exactly what we sing about. God, you've been so faithful. All my life, you've been good to me. I sing not, that not because of me, as Paul says three times. It's not, it's not you, it's him. So as you think about the word poem, what poem are people reading based on your life? If, you're, if your life is a poem, which scripture in the original text says it is, God has created you to be like a poem, to have intentionality and meaning for people to look at, lost people to look at. What are lost people looking at? And there I bring in the, the, the Costco ordeal. I could, could have given that AAA tow truck driver the same person, a lost per, uh, the same look a lost person would give. I could be cussing up and down a storm, mad, can't believe this happened to me, or I could share Jesus with him. And man, the difference to his day, man, he was describing, my wife can testify, he was, he literally, his first words out of his, out of his mouth were, man, I just got done cleaning up a fatal accident on I-70 last week. Several people died. And he, he just sounded heartbroken, terrible, depressed. And in my response, I said, hey, we just moved here uh, to a little town. I don't know if you know it, New Windsor. And I'm a pastor there. And I just wanted to, to encourage you. Man, and that, that, that little difference makes the world of difference. Not for me, not to, for me to look good, but for the kingdom of God to grow. So when you are at your place of business, when you are with your family, when you are at school, what is your attitude? And again, I'm not a natural great at this, so this is not coming from an expert who does it well. This is coming from someone who struggles with it. What are you doing with the thought through placed specific lane and time and season that God has given you right now? And you may come in the room today bearing a lot of baggage. You may have not have thought you were gonna make it to 2024, 
Some of you may be grieving the loss of a loved one after a first holiday season. Some of you may be coming in all wings ablazing and you feel great. And maybe some of you are in between. Wherever you're at, I'd encourage you to give 2024 and beyond to Jesus. And I'm not talking about coming to UBC. I'm not talking about going to a community group or digging deeper class. I'm talking about outside those windows are lost people. They don't know Jesus. They will never know Jesus. Like like that AAA tow truck driver, he will never come to church. His job is 24-7 around the clock. He doesn't get Sundays off. But maybe if I have enough boldness and courage and I believe that I I was created in, in this specific lane and context to share that with him, he might meet Jesus all because I follow the plan just like Tennessee followed the plan. Just like Coach Jones knew he had confidence in the victory that he had. And it wasn't, Coach Jones didn't throw the ball 50 yards. He didn't catch the ball in the end zone with four defenders around him, but he knew he had the confidence of the people in charge. So God views you and I in that kind of light. So would you reframe your thought for this year? Would you make 2024 different that you would not just go about kind of a mediating life, just kind of trying to make, make it by? Would you give God your every day from this point forward? And this is not some sermon just to forget. This is an everyday lifestyle. And you may think, well, that just doesn't do it for me. Like, how, how, could, how could this be? And I'll give you one illustration, I think, that proves my point to the T, and it's Mark chapter 1. Jesus is calling his first disciples. And we often read half of the story. We read, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But we miss the part where they are actual fishermen in real life. So Jesus, instead of saying, hey, come and follow me, I'll teach you to be a carpenter. Jesus, follow me and I'll teach you to be a tax collector so you can be the lowest of the lowest and I can take you. But he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men or fishers of people. That's interesting. Have you ever thought about that? Why would Jesus use the same occupation? Well, the reason is this, is that he desires, again, in light of what we've already discovered, that you are a workmanship created intentionally and placed where you are. He desires to use where you are just repurposed. These guys were fishermen like the heavy manual labor kind, where you're digging and pulling, digging and pulling. These guys were hard people. And they'll read this with me in Mark chapter one, really quickly. As he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea. So they're doing the manual fisherman thing, for they were fishermen. And then Jesus simply says, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And notice their response. And this is the plea that I would make with you today. Immediately, they left their nets. Not questioning, not looking what everyone else was doing in that culture, which is easy to do because there are a whole lot of industries and fields to be a part of, to look successful. But he says they immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat putting their nets in order. It means they were preparing And then John is in the boat putting their nets in order and immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Now think about that for a second, what that meant for them. They were leaving everything they knew to submit to God's plan for them. Everything. 
Can your life be said of the, in the same manner? Because if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you would be saying, hey, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I am learning under Jesus. Would people be able to look at your life and say, hey, that person immediately goes after Jesus. That person would leave everything they know to share the gospel with somebody. I won't ask for a showing of hands, but when was the last time you shared your faith with somebody? Like if Jesus really is this great guy, this savior, this Lord, this king of kings that we sing about every week, how many lost people have heard about him because of your life? Through conversation or just saying, being bold. It like like these, these guys, John, Peter, and James. They just said immediately we left. Immediately we followed because they saw that he was worth it all. Which leads me to the next question. Is Jesus worth it all to you? Is Jesus worth it all to you? If you've entered into this relationship with Christ, your role is simply to play a small, small part in glorifying God by making disciples of all nations like the Buntons are going to the, the Middle Eastern areas, into Europe and Asia and Africa, where there, some places don't even have a Bible translation. My part in this was to say yes to everything I knew in the south, south, southeast United States, moved 15 hours away from everything I knew. I didn't know anybody. I moved to Dallas, Texas for two years, and it was the best yes that I've ever said because I gained lifelong friends. They sent me a video this morning encouraging me and telling me that they were gonna pray for me and my message. And it prepared me for this moment right here that you're living in. So I traveled everything I knew, everything I thought was comfortable, everything I thought was convenient. I lived in an apartment that was really small for two years. And then I got a call from a guy named Frank and a guy named Mark from a number that I didn't know in a place that I had never heard of before. But I said yes. Why? Because I believe that God was calling me here. It didn't matter what it looked like. It didn't matter whether it was convenient or not. It didn't matter what others thought. All that mattered was that I was following Jesus and Jesus wanted me to go here. And I said no to three other places before getting that phone call. Because I, I knew that he was not calling me there. So where is God calling you to go in 2024? Where is God calling you to go with your family? with your spouse, in your workplace, with your kids. I would present you with these two questions as reflection questions. Jeremy and the team, you guys can come on up. But these two questions are solely based on this passage and that's what this passage is for. Because assuming everyone in the room listening to me has trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, you are in this eight through 10 part. God has intersected in your life. He has offered forgiveness and grace and his son, Jesus, to you. It's up to you to accept it. And if, assuming you have, these two questions are left at the end of the text for you. The first one is this. We talked about it earlier. What is the poem that others are reading based on your life? So if I were to ask someone in your sphere of influence, what would people say about you? Do you radiate joy? Do you radiate the love and kindness and grace of Jesus that he has extended to you? Or would you say, yeah, forgiveness is only really for those that deserve it. You don't really deserve my forgiveness. You don't really, you haven't really played that meaningful part of my life. I, I, I choose not to do that for you. 
That's, that's not what you're called to do. And the second one is this. How can you take a step towards Christ? These guys left their father, which in those days, that was the leader of the house. It was assumed. When, when a census was taken, it wasn't based on the, the wife and kids in the, in, the, uh, in the family. It was solely based on the men. So if you ever read a biblical account, that's just the males talking. So they left the most important figure in their life. They left the hired men that they had paid to do the job with them to follow Jesus. My prayer is that every single person in this room would enter 2024 and every single day after that they would follow Jesus with that kind of reckless abandon. That you would not care about family as, as close as family is in our culture, as popular and to up, up on the list as it is. Would you live a life that people would look at and say, hey, I don't have any, I don't have any doubts about him. He goes hard after the Lord. He loves Jesus and it, and it shows. Jesus says, how will they know that they're my disciples? By their fruit. You'll bear the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So as I pray and the band starts to play, I would invite you to simply reflect and maybe respond. Maybe come up with a plan of response. Maybe 2024 is the year that you start parenting your kids in the way of Jesus. Maybe 2024 is the way or is the year, rather, that you say yes to being a faithful attender at church, that you're engaged with a community group. I'll be out at the table at the end. If you haven't joined a community group before and you just feel like life is tough and life is lonely, maybe you're a single mom in the room and you just feel like you're just barely making it, uh, we would love to help you connect with people here. And it will change not only your physical life, but your spiritual life as well. And it will help you be this workmanship, this poema that God has called you and I to be. So pray with me and the Jeremy and the crew will sing. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for today. We do ask uh, during this time that you would speak to us. Uh, Lord, I pray for Jeremy and the team as they lead. Uh, God, every person in the room, uh, regardless of where they are, whether they're a believer or not, they have a, a job to respond to the spoken and the written word of God today. And so as they respond in their hearts and maybe in their minds, they come up with something that they need to do. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help them be obedient, that you would help them uh, to make the right decision for them and their family so that everyone in this room ends 2024 and beyond following you and loving you more. I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.